Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome to the Umarpreneur podcast where I interview Muslim entrepreneurs from all backgrounds to share with you their diverse experiences, their journeys through entrepreneurship and really their stories so we can better learn how to succeed ourselves as entrepreneurs and as Muslims, inshallah. And today with me, I have a very special guest, Brother Mansoor Rafiq Omar, who is the president and CEO of Halal Watch World LLC. We'll talk about exactly what they do today, as well as the Imam Chaplain at the University of Albany, mashallah. So I'm going to talk to him today about his journey building Halal Watch World, his experience as a chaplain as well. And we're going to dive into a series and diverse topics to really bring to you some of his experience here that you guys can leverage to grow your business, inshallah. So, assalamu alaikum, brother Mansoor. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is an honor to be here. I really appreciate the invitation and uh, looking forward to a good conversation. Definitely, 100%. And I appreciate you being here, brother. I know your time is always valuable. And I appreciate every single person that honestly comes on this podcast and just really shares their time, their experience, their wisdom so um, so generously, alhamdulillah. And with you, mashallah, you've been building, you're, as an entrepreneur, you've been building Halal Watch World and, and really running this company um, almost for the last nine years now. So you were, v, you were VP for quite a while and now you're CEO and president. So tell me about your well what does halal watch world do exactly before we even talk about your your journey through it yeah sure so uh uh so halal watch world is a halal certification agency mm-hmm. what we do is our primary work is ensuring that products and facilities are halal that they are halal for the halal conscious consumer mm-hmm. which is a broad category of consumer base, right? It could be Muslim, it may not be Muslim. There are many consumers who are not Muslim who are concerned about halal products as well. So our target is to ensure that products, whether they're food products, whether they're cosmetics, whether they're chemicals, whether they are nutraceuticals, pharmaceuticals, that they are compliant with Islamic with Islamic rules and regulations, right? Halal guidelines. And as long as the products and the facilities that they are produced in are adherent or are uh, compliant with the rules and regulations of halal, the halal guidelines and halal standards, then we can deem them as halal. And they are then permitted, those companies are then permitted to produce those products as halal certified products and sell to a halal consumer. And with Halal Watch World, do you do you guys cover pretty much uh, like like just within nationally, let's say within the United States, or do you cover multiple countries um, in, in general in terms of certifying Halal products and services? Yeah, so our products are sold domestically, but they are also sold internationally as well. Uh, you know, different areas that products go into um, are basically it's based on wherever that client is looking to sell their product. Then essentially we provide the certificate for that particular area. So, yes, both domestic and international as well. Got it. And and pardon me, because I'm not very familiar with the space of lic- like halal licensing and certification. Uh, but I do know, for example, in Canada, there are there are certain common organizations that we have here. And I'm sure with you as well, you might have certain uh, like certain products or businesses that you typically navigate towards, which are probably going to be within the food industry uh, and other various types of industries. I want to know, is there one regulatory body that will generally certify halal products across the world? Or is it that every single business has a multitude of options in terms of regulatory bodies and they can choose the one that they feel is the best fit? 
so if I understand the question correctly, um, there are multiple companies that certify products mm-hmm. uh, and those companies that certify products generally are under the guise of some particular standard or accreditation body. Mm -hmm. So you have accreditation bodies that basically regulate standards and they accredit certifying agencies against some particular standard. Uh, We are are, uh, approved and we are uh, um, accredited against the United States Department of Law Standards. So the standards uh, that we've been working on actually in tandem with the United States Department of Halal Standards is to ensure that North America has standards for halal certification bodies, standards for manufacturing facilities, standards for slaughterhouses and so forth. So um, if I'm understanding the, 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 the question correctly, the, the bodies that adhere to those standards, they are right. the ones that are giving out the certificate. Okay, got it. And yeah, my question was essentially, are there multiple organizations that you can go to? Let's say you were starting up a restaurant, right? And you wanted to have that halal certification, right? Really giving that confidence to your consumers and your customers that everything you offer is halal. Now, generally, are there multiple organizations that do this? Or is it one unifying body, for example, um, that, you know, if you're in the US, it's halal watch world and, and that's it? Yeah, so no, there are multiple uh, agencies that do halal certification. Uh, we are just one of a few. We're one of okay. the more prominent uh, certification bodies that uh, has a strong structure, has long, long history. We've been around for over 35 years. Uh, we have a long, long standing in the industry, um, which actually my father started uh, the certification body back in the 80s. So, um, yeah, we're, we're one of the few that have been around for a pretty long time. And, uh, you know, our, our job really at this point is to continue to progressively enhance the halal industry because mm-hmm. obviously we have some issues in our community, issues of distrust and so forth. And our, our job is really to, to look to change that narrative to make sure that we are implementing the most advanced technology, the most advanced systems, um, databases, um, pri- private uh, um, databases that basically store and protect companies' information and we are able to vet that information in a very thorough way with qualified individuals and we have a very strong system so that's really our our goal is to enhance what we've been doing and make sure that the halal conscious consumer does not have that doubt when it comes mm-hmm. to products so, uh, so that's primarily what does it look like to be CEO and president of an organization like this, where a lot of it is focused on, you know, making sure that everything you're providing uh, to the restaurants, to the consumers, it's all based based on a relationship of trust, right? Um, so as an organization for you, I, I, I'm aware you're, you were vice president for a number of years, and now you've, mashallah, transitioned to be president and CEO. Through that transition, through that process, what for you have been the things that you've noticed that are required within your business or even within your industry that this is extremely important for us to achieve or accomplish to be able to maintain our day-to-day operations and be successful within this industry? Yeah, really good question. So uh, just a little bit of backstory. Um, the, the agency itself was actually initially started as a newsletter. And the okay. primary purpose was to uh, to really shine a light on the halal industry back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So my father would write news articles. He would visit facilities and just to check and make sure, are they actually halal and giving the halal conscious consumer the tools really to make that best judgment. 
uh, it morphed into a halal certification agency. And uh, my father had a couple of clients all the way up until uh, 2013. Uh, then my father became sick. He became very ill. He had a couple of strokes um, and he also suffers from diabetes as well. So he became incapable of, of uh, maintaining the company. Uh, although it was very, very small at that time, we had about two clients um, back in 2013. And at that time, I was actually on my way to go study. My, I was working full time uh, and um, I, was, uh, I had made the decision that I was going to go and study um, Arabic and Islamic studies uh, in uh, South Africa, in Cape Town. And it just so happens that Cape Town is the birthplace of halal certification, believe it or not. Um, the Muslim Judicial Council is where the very first halal certification agency started back in the 1940s. And they started to grow uh, an organization and really give a model to Western countries how Muslims can live in a Western country while uh, adhering to Islamic principles and halal guidelines. So as I was over there, I got to sit with the scholars, the shuyukh, who really were uh, a part of the foundation of, of halal certification and learned so much from them about how to properly regulate, how to properly uh, um, record and observe and, and surveil and so forth. And after four years, when I got my, I received my ijazah and came back, um, I started really putting my effort into um, building and growing the organization. And uh, I came back in about 2018, the beginning of 2018, the end of 2017. And now we have over 60 clients who did that. So to, to really um, get back to your question, if you could just re refocus me on the question again. Yeah, so, so for you specifically, what have you noticed kind of transitioning from that VP to CEO role? has been maybe the most essential or crucial activities that your business needs to focus on to maintain that relationship of trust with, with the customers and really just continue to operate within the space, which as you mentioned, is a very, it's very much based on regulations and halal and haram. And, you know, there's all these factors that go into it. So how do you kind of maintain the day-to-day -day operations and what do you feel like you need to focus on as a business to succeed within this industry? Right. So the reason for giving that backstory is to, to really hone in on the point that there needs to be proper standards and guidelines. Mm -hmm. And because halal certification is contemporary, it's a contemporary matter. And we're not saying that halal itself, right? The concept of halal, the principles of what makes something halal, those are all based in the nas, they're based in the text, right? Yeah. They're based in what the Prophet Sallallahu said, what the Quran says, what Allah Subh'anaHu Wa says about it. So it's based in that, but we're dealing with very modern systems. We're dealing with modern factories. We're dealing with an industrial, uh, an industrialized uh, uh, um, industry, right? And so we're dealing with all of these new factors. How do we marry these two? How do we bring the contemporary and the classic together and make it practical, make it make sense and make it practical? And that's really been what I have been focusing on as the VP and then transitioning into mm -hmm. uh, president is to bring the contemporary together with the classical and try to make it so that it's palatable, that it's easy to understand, that it's um, easy for companies to work through. So mm. um, really having proper, the way to do that, the best way to do that I've found 
is to have a strong understanding of the classical text and the classical uh, classical knowledge, classical scripture, and then also having a strong understanding of technology and bringing people who have those as strong suits around you so that you can develop a business that has to deal with both in a very responsible way. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you sharing that, brother. Zakhlaqir, for for such a beautiful, eloquent answer. Um, and and one one thing that I do want to touch upon because, you know, you have this side of you that is that is an entrepreneur. If we're to, to speak about you specifically, and you have this other side of you, as you mentioned, that you are the chaplain at the University of Albany. And one thing yeah. that I that I am curious about personally for you is. Within these two roles, do you feel like they are vastly different roles or do you feel like they are actually similar in nature? How do you approach both of these roles within your life? Yeah, that's a really good question. So are the two different roles? I would say they are different roles because one of them is completely philanthropic in the sense that it is not um, for pay. I don't take any pay mm -hmm. um, for the position of chaplain. I do it voluntarily. and. Um, I have my reasons for for why. Uh, you know, there are some things that we we should you know forego for the sake of Allah. He said that. But at the same time, a lot of the things that I've learned on the business side, I bring into the uh, into the community, into mm -hmm. the the chaplaincy, and it helps to it helps to have that because you're able to really organize things and orchestrate things in a very positive way, in a way that has structure, in a way that has proper format, in a way that has proper legal um, underpinnings, right? Mm -hmm. So not just from an Islamic perspective, but also from a classical or a, sorry, a, a secular perspective, right? So um, the ability to, to having the, the experience with business um, has also given me the ability to do the chaplaincy in a, in a very uh, in a very good and, and, and helpful way for the students because what we're doing is we're helping the MSA students, um, their organization, helping them have proper uh, Juma khutbah, having proper classes, having um, you know uh, speakers who who are coming in and invited, and also dealing with other things as well. You know when there's quarreling and beefing and how do you deal with that so yeah. some of it comes from really i think that the two they aid in each other but they are definitely distinct and separate um you know in the one sense you're dealing with employees and in the other sense you're dealing with uh individuals who have real uh day-to-day -day needs so it is it is uh challenging but at the same time they're they're both important for sure. What for you have been maybe the top three skills that you've seen kind of translate across the board uh, for both of these roles? I would say, uh, number one, to have a strong Islamic foundation, strong mm. Islamic oh, understanding. Wow. If an individual, I can just tell you, our second year of study, second year of study, we studied Kitab al-Bayr, which is basically the book of sales. So how transactions should be carried out, right? Now, this was an, an, uh, uh, an ulama course or a, uh, an ilm course, right? And, and some people may think, well, if you're studying ilm, then you know, you're just studying Quran, you're studying the Hadith and what did the Prophet say and so on and so forth. But we're studying also very practical things, you know, that have to do with when does a sale begin? When does the sale end? Um, can you take back a sale? Um, what is uh, forward buying? Can you forward buy? Is that permissible? Is it not permissible? So understanding that, number one, 
gives a very, very strong understanding of how to carry forward in any decision-making process. So with business, you're dealing with decisions. With chaplaincy, you're dealing with decisions. You're, you're, it's decision-making. How do you do that in an effective way, in a way that is beneficial to the students and in a way that is beneficial to the consumer and in a way that is beneficial to the, the client as well. So all of that has to be understood, but the, the number one quality and characteristic is to have that strong foundation. If you don't have that strong foundation, it's going to be up to the individual's whim and what they think is the right thing to do and so on and so forth. But Allah SWT has given us a code that really works in all scenarios. So that would be, I would say, number one. Number two, lots of sabr. Mm. Lots of sabr. Lots of patience. You know, being patient and knowing that the answer to some of these things may not be right uh, right in front of you. It may not be apparent. It may require some reflection, taking time, uh, looking at the different variables and the different um, uh, factors and, and how they play out, weighing the mafsada and the maslaha, the, the harms and the benefits. And, you know, once you, you have time to sit down and do that and really think through things, then um, I believe that's a, that's a very... That's a very beneficial thing to have, and it's um, a very important quality. So that, that's definitely number two. Number three, I would say to have have a, a, a good consortium of of advisors that you can trust, mm. people that you can trust, people who have um, not just good ideas but also seniority over you, right? Um, individuals who have been through that path or who have been through similar paths that you can uh, you can reflect ideas off of and and uh, speak with and converse with and ask for advice. So that's also extremely important. Um, employees plus advisors as well. So all all uh, all levels of a company, you can mm. learn from anyone. You can learn from somebody who's, who's at the quote unquote lowest tier and someone who's at the highest tier. And also an individual at the highest tier could also be somebody who is too arrogant, right? To teach you something and vice versa. So it's important to, to really have a very, very uh, broad spectrum to, to pull from. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. It was beautiful, mashallah, the three that you, the three skills that you tapped into and, and spoke about. And one thing I'm curious about for you, because as ACO and president of a company, you have to keep your team motivated. You have to keep them inspired and aligned with the mission and vision of what you're trying to achieve. And for you specifically, having transitioned into that role, what have you noticed to be maybe the the most important elements or maybe the, the the best strategy for you when it comes to treating your employees, treating your team in a way where they continue to come to work or work on this project feeling inspired and motivated? Yeah, I would say that uh, the number one thing is to remind everyone when times are, uh, there's a there's a saying, the Prophet ﷺ, he says, وَمَنْ أَصَابَتُهُ صَرَّعُ شَكَرَ فَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُ وَمَنْ أَصَابَتُهُ دَرَّعُ الصَّبَرَ فَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُ And there's some backstory to that hadith, but just to keep it as concise as possible, he basically says, how amazing is a situation for an individual who's a mu'min, a person who is a believer, that they, every single one of their situations is good. When, a, when something good comes to them, when something good befalls them, then they're thankful, they're grateful, they're mashkur, and that is good for them. And when a calamity strikes, when something difficult or something hard befalls them, then they're patient, and that is good for them. So being 
and individual guiding individuals who are employees and team members, the best way to, to, to guide them, I would say, is to remind them of this hadith because it is so key that everything won't be exactly the way we want it to be. Sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it's easy. But if we have the right attitude, then everything will be good for us at the end of the day. So I think that's probably the best way to really keep a team motivated and, and keep the team going forward. Uh, SubhanAllah, I appreciate you sharing that, brother. And bringing this conversation back to Halal Watch World and, and what you guys do, because looking at this company, at least my initial reflex and my, my first reflex to say, oh, okay, so they're, going, they're focusing specifically on restaurants, uh, you know, food businesses, and, and that's it. Now, is that really the case? Or do you actually work with other types of businesses outside of the food industry? Yeah, in fact, actually, at least 40% of our clients are non-food producing companies. Um, we have companies that produce chemicals that may go into machines, machines that are used, potentially used in food um, uh, producing uh, uh, factories. Um, we have companies that are cosmetics companies that uh, make cosmetics, lipsticks, eyeliners, um, you know, conditioners and so forth. Uh, there are companies that make nutraceuticals. Um, you may consider it like a food, right? Because it's not exactly a pharmaceutical where it's a medicine, but it's, you know, like a superfood in a sense. Um, but we do have also pharmaceutical companies that we certify there. There's a vast scope of, of, of companies that are interested in halal. And it is surprising that more people don't know about this, but halal is really a very broad uh, term. It's a broad uh, perspective, right? When we say halal, we really are talking about not just a lifestyle, but we're talking about something that is lived, right? Something that is lived in, in, in everyday life. So I could ask the question, is it halal for me to walk to this location? Is it halal for me to play this sport? Is it halal for me to wear this particular outfit? So halal is really guidelines and principles based on the classical text that really gives us mm -hmm. the idea or the understanding of how we can engage or how we can utilize, how we can consume, how we can transact this particular item or thing or, or uh, identity. So mm -hmm. I think that that's really the important part is to understand that halal is very, very broad. Um, so it does not just involve food, but it involves so many other things as well. Got it. And, and for entrepreneurs, business owners that are listening to this podcast that might be considering right now getting that certification with you. Do you work with small business owners, entrepreneurs, and what does that process look like? Just so we can have, uh, you know, inshallah, offer that opportunity to people if it's something that they'd be interested in. Yeah, absolutely. So we do work with founders um, a lot as well, and especially in particularly founders. We try to give them uh, ease in, in the process as much as possible, uh, and that can translate into, you know, lower fees and so forth. Um, our, our rules and regulations are, are very strict. Um, however, it is not impossible. Uh, mm -hmm. So essentially the process is, is like this. We're looking at four primary principles. Mm -hmm. Primary principles of halal, number one, is sanitation. So sanitation encompasses the entirety of the facility, everything that's inside of it, wherever the halal product is found, wherever it's found in that facility, that's considered as assured space. So there's a space inside the facility that we are assuring that this particular product will maintain its integrity. But we're looking at, number one, sanitation. So that means 
is this particular product sanitized? Now, from a secular perspective, that would mean microbials and bacteria and, you know, E. coli and salmonella. We're not concerned with that from the halal perspective, although that is important, but there are already government regulations and rules that cover those sorts of things. When we say halal from, when we say sanitation from the halal perspective, what we're really saying is, we're saying, is it free from what is considered as filth, nudges? Mm -hmm. So if something is considered as nudges, pork product, animals that are not uh, killed according to Islamic ritual rites, uh, donkey meat, or any other types of animals that are carnivorous, uh, meta, dead meat, right? Uh, so all of that would be considered as filth, um, even excrement and urine and, and that sort of thing. That can come from humans, that can come from animals. So we're concerned with ensuring that the halal product never comes into contact with anything that is considered as najis. Mm -hmm. whether that is in direct contact, contact or indirect contact. So when we say sanitation, we mean the product, we mean the conveyor belts, we mean the tools, we mean the apparatuses, everything that is involved with that product that ever comes into contact with that product must also remain free from that. Mm -hmm. So that's number one, sanitation. Number two, we're concerned with traceability. So traceability is, uh, is both internally and externally. So, Traceability, meaning that the internal traceability, meaning that the product is capable of, of being in the facility and not being mixed up with some other products, right? So there should be proper labels, proper signage, proper colors, and so on and so forth. That really gives us the confidence to say that you have a proper a system in place that is fit to uh, maintain traceability for that product. Then we have external traceability, which is basically the ability to trace back the ingredient all the way to who manufactured that ingredient. So if we're talking about a candy bar, for instance, we want to know who produced the chocolate, who produced the sugar, who produced the milk, who produced the nuts, who produced anything that goes into that. And those manufacturers, so it, it's like a tree, right? The product and then yeah. a whole tree of branches that, that, uh, that lead into these raw material manufacturers that make up that final product, we need to know about each and every single one of them, which is a major undertaking. So either those manufacturers need to have law certificates or they need to have a disclosure statement, something that gives us the confidence that yes, you can be an approved vendor and we can purchase our products. We can purchase your ingredients and they can be a law. Um, and the last two is basically um, integrity and composition. And integrity is basically that the system is conducive to producing a halal product and the individuals are scrutinized. Who is in charge of this product in the facility? So we vet them to make sure that they're honest people, that they're upright, that there's no smoke and mirrors and that the information, the document data and the data that we're getting from them, uh, spoken word, uh, when, they're, when we're speaking to them and, and on the audit that we're getting that information, that it all matches up. Mm -hmm. And the composition is basically what the product is made of. We do a full report on absolutely everything, all of the ingredients, everything is broken down. It's a arduous task, but our team is poised to do it. We've been doing it for years and and in a very, very thorough way. Mashallah, Zakalah Khair for sharing that. I think that was honestly I loved learning about that and I'm sure many people will. And it's it's great to know, especially if you're someone who's thinking of starting a restaurant, you're starting a restaurant or some type of product company, some type of company as you mentioned, within all these other industries, uh, then inshallah they'd be well positioned to understand, okay, this is what goes into it and what I can do to to get certified, inshallah. 
Now, I want to ask you a question that I ask uh, generally every single uh, guest that comes on this podcast. And one of my favorite questions to ask, and if it is the following, if you could meet Mansoor, who was 18 years old, right? Just about to enter the cusp of adulthood and uh, just about to embark on this journey as a chaplain, inshallah, as, you know, president of Halal Watch World. And you could give him one piece of advice as he goes through this journey of adulthood and eventually entrepreneurship as well. What would you give him as that one piece of advice to hold on to? Very, very good question. I would say, number one, use your youth in a wise way and don't waste time. Mm. because time is so short, so short. I'm 37 now, and I feel old. I feel like time is running out. I'm always, I always feel like my time is so short, and I'm the type of individual that has so many ideas, so many things that I want to do, and I'm involved in so many different projects, and I constantly think to myself, I'm running out of time. How can I do this, 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 and this with such a small amount of time? And the reality is, is that if you use your youth well and wisely, and you invest in yourself via Allah, through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you invest in yourself and you invest in knowing and understanding what's valuable in the, in the, in the early phases of your life, you find yourself less uh, less distracted and uh, less pulled in so many different directions. So I would say definitely don't waste too much time and spend a lot of time on what is really important to you and what is important to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you have a symbiotic relationship between the two where what you, what is important to you is important to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you've got, you've got something golden there. Go with that. Move For forward. Sure. MashaAllah, JazakAllah khair for that. And a, a question I'm going to squeeze in here for entrepreneurs that are listening because you are an imam as well. So I'll take advantage of that uh, and, and, and really kind of get your advice from a spiritual standpoint for us as Muslim entrepreneurs. We are sometimes very much caught up in the day-to-day -day of our businesses. We are very much caught up in, you know, just, oh, this there's this fire that I have to put out. There's this task that has to get done. There's this deadline that's not being met. And all these challenges are always popping up in business, just the way it is. What can we do as entrepreneurs and specifically as Muslims? What is maybe a tool in our arsenal? Um, and I know you mentioned patience uh, in, in a previous, uh, as an answer to previous question. So I'm not going to let you say patience <laughs> again. I want, to, I want to talk about something else. Um, yeah. But what can we use as a tool in our arsenal as Muslims to really help ground us through the roller coaster of entrepreneurship? Because even myself personally, I find myself many times, you know, kind of being very emotionally. Um, invested and then emotionally kind of charged with these ups and downs of business. And, and I'm wondering what can I better do to ground myself emotionally? And I know there's probably something that I'm missing here uh, and I would love your, your help and advice on that. Yes. So uh, I would say number one, as-salah, as-salah, as-salah. Mm -hmm. As Ali ibn uh, Abi Talib, as he mentioned, yeah. uh, they say, he said that or the Prophet Sallallahu said on his deathbed, As-salah, as-salah, as-salah. And it is 110% true. The salah first before anything else. Because when we prioritize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prioritizes us, right? Allah is as his servant expects him to be. So if I expect a lot from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expects, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be good to me, right? And so if I am expressing my 
confidence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the solution to all of these problems. Because why do we get engaged in any project? We get engaged because there's a problem we need to solve. There's something that needs to be fixed. And in order to fix that, I need to, I need to insert and dedicate time, energy, and effort. And those variables can go into it. But if there's no barakah, then I can be spending time, money, energy, effort, like a rat on a wheel, like a gerbil running in circles, right? And I'm spending and spending and spending, but at the end of the day, I'm not actually going anywhere. So the barakah is what's important. The barakah is necessary. And the barakah, the barakah of my time, the barakah of my effort, the barakah of my, my energy, it comes from establishing that relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first, salah, my prayer, on time, on time, as uh, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, uh, Which means the prayer on its time, at the beginning of its time, is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Prayer at the end of its time is forgiven. It's forgiven mm -hmm. by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Almost like, okay, you did it on time, but you know, it, it didn't really count for much. And what does that show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That shows Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're not, really, we're not really connected to Him. We're doing this maybe for ourselves. We're doing this maybe for the wrong niyyah, for the wrong intention, the wrong reasons. And that's mm -hmm. something we have to reflect on ourselves to you know, always correct that intention and so forth. But knowing number one, if my salah is right, everything else will be right. Wallahi, everything else in my life will be right if my salah is right. Allah will, he'll, he'll correct and fix those things for you because you're giving in your salah, you're giving your problems to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, telling Allah, I can't accomplish this. This is difficult. I don't have the brain power. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put barakah in all of those things if you prioritize him. Look at Imam Nawawi. Imam Nawawi was 40 when he died. How many volumes did he write? Volumes of text. I mean, just, he was, he was so prolific that you would think an individual would have spent three or four lifetimes developing what he developed with no computers and no Google search and no, you know, none of the modern tools that we have today. And it's all because of the barakah that Allah subhanahu put in his time. Hassan, Jazakallah khairan for that, Imam. This was beautiful and something that I think not only I needed to hear, but so many people will need to hear. So Jazakallah khair for that. It's It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. How can people go to support your work, uh, whether it's as a, as a chaplain or through Halal Watch World? How can they go and support you and possibly even work with you to get that certification, inshallah? Where should they go? Sure. Yeah, um, they can find me at rafiq.umar at halalwatchworld.org. Mm -hmm. um, they can also go to the website halalwatchworld.org um, and uh, they can also email or they can call, I'll, I'll uh, provide a number as well if anyone would like to call or needs to call, would be 877-425-2599. Um, they can find our company there as well. For that, Sheikh. This was absolutely uh, a pleasure to have this conversation with you. And really, I do appreciate your time and just the wisdom you've shared today. So, Jazakallah Khairan for that. Wayak, wayak. And Jazakallah Khairan for having me on. I really appreciate the time.
It's an absolute pleasure. And you guys know the drill. Please go ahead and check out Halal Watch World. We'll drop the link in the episode notes. Or if you're watching on YouTube, check out the description below. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Spread the goodness to the people around you. And we'll see you guys next time. Jazakallah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.